You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. This week we are jumping into it once again. Mark chapter 4 is where we're at this morning. Mark 4 verses 26 through 34. So we are picking up where we left off last week. So Mark 4, 26 through 34, continuing in this section of the parables. And so the last few weeks, we've done one at a time. This week, we're combining two parables into one. And so we are going to be speaking about the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed today. And so why don't you join with me as we read Mark 4, verses 26 through 34. It says this. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, and then the head of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Jesus said, verse 30, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. This is our text for this morning. It's the word of God. Why don't we pray? Lord, we we do recognize this as your word. We recognize it as living and active. And God, we, we sit here and we listen and we study it because of that. We want to we, we hear from you. So Holy Spirit, would you open our, our ears and our eyes and our hearts to what you would have to say? We ask for, for receptive hearts. We ask for hearts that would say yes and amen. God, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want to receive that. And so God, would you help those of us in here that that uh, by nature maybe are just, you know, struggle with receiving things or, or maybe we're just stubborn or prideful or, you know, just are struggling at this time and that we just don't want to hear maybe this morning. But I pray by your loving kindness that you administer this, these truths to us. And Lord, we want to be open. You are God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we want to, we want to, receive your word as as that, as you're the one that's speaking to us. And so, God, I pray that I would just be your mouthpiece. I would just be uh, the, the, the tool that you use for your, to, to say what you want to say to us. But, Lord, we pray that as we study your word today and as we learn what it means, that we would be moved to action, to participate in your kingdom. And so for, for some of us, God, we really need a lot of boldness and courage. And uh, we just ask God in advance that you would stir us to action today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our text this morning, and we continue with Jesus speaking in parables, right? Even at the end of our text this morning, the author, uh, 
Mark here, he, he's, he's writing what it is that we're reading. He's, it's stories that Jesus is using to communicate truths. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, this would more or less be like a part three of this little section of parables and our study into Jesus's teachings using parables. So thus far in Mark chapter four, to kind of catch us up, we've studied two parables. First, it was the sower and the soil. And last night, or excuse me, last week, it was the lamp and its light. And so today we see the next two. So there's four in this chapter, and we're studying the, the last two today. But this isn't the last time by any means that we're going to encounter parables in Scripture. Like if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read the Gospels, you will see over and over again Jesus uses this form of teaching to communicate truths. And he does it for certain reasons, and we've studied that. But we'll see today that, that Jesus continues to, to speak, and the story, in a lot of senses, continues. Like these parables are linked to one another. The last two weeks are linked to today. And the common theme, or the line that travels throughout them, is the Word of God. The Word of God is seen throughout them, and there's different, different um, aspects there's different nuances to each parable, but the common theme or line that travels throughout these is the word of God. And if you've been with us, it, it could maybe seem redundant, but there's this illustration once again of a farmer and a sower and his crop being used. And we studied this two weeks ago uh, uh, heavily, but it's much like the soils. It's a very common illustration that's used throughout the New Testament. We'll see that today, that over and over and over, Jesus uses this very common, relatable topic in his story. And that's largely why he does that, is it's this common, relatable topic, topic that's easily, at least on the surface, understandable to his hearers. It's not some, you know, thing they've never heard before or concept they, they don't know. He's trying to communicate them a deeper meaning by using a very common, relatable topic. And so farming, not only was there a lot of farmers by vocation, but back then before Foodland and Safeway and Costco and stores and groceries. I mean, this is what you did as a family. This is how you sustained life. And just by nature, it was a common skill that you learned to do. Not, not at all like today. Like so many of us have no clue and no understanding of how to actually farm, let alone keep a plant alive. Right? Exactly. Right? We have trouble even keeping a plant alive, but back then this was like no-brainer, easy, everyone does it. And so when Jesus speaks about farming, everyone would say, I understand exactly what you're saying. Right? In, in his original intended audience in first century Israel, man, this was, these were relatable topics. But also, they were obscure in their true meaning. Right? Everybody's like, oh, you're talking about farming. You're telling me about how to farm. How, why would you ever do that? Everybody knows how to farm. Jesus was trying to say something else to them. There was a deeper spiritual meaning to what he was saying. But also, these parables were directed or intended for those that desired to know them. Or in other words, they were designed to be understood 
by those that believed or had faith in Christ. Not everyone heard what Jesus was saying or what he was meaning to say. I mean, so many missed the point. When Jesus was speaking the parables, when he was communicating these truths, we see that so many people just missed it. They didn't understand. They didn't inquire. They didn't care. They either thought he was a crazy person, they thought he was uh, blasphemous in what he was saying, or they just they had no interest in who Jesus was. Many missed Jesus entirely. They missed the fact that the man that was speaking, Jesus of Nazareth, was actually the son of God. That he was actually the divine son of God. That it was God in flesh. God incarnate was standing in front of them. Many missed it. Again, Jesus was using these parables to illuminate a deeper spiritual truth. And our parables that we see today illuminate or reveal to us the power and potency of the word of God. And specifically, when the word of God is shared and when it's told and when it's communicated, when it's preached, we see that there's power in it as it spreads throughout the whole world. And so Jesus, again, is, is adding on. He's piggybacking of what he's already said. There's a progression of the last two weeks. And so to catch us up, verses 1 through 20, two weeks ago, we saw the soils. And there was a different level of receptivity of the heart. And that was the point of that parable, that when we hear God's word, that we have a choice whether or not to believe it or not. We, we all do. We have a choice whether to receive and believe or deny or reject or, or base our lives upon it. We have a choice to obey God's word or not. And we saw that in a very vivid picture with the soils. There's actually four different, Jesus would say there's four different ways that you can you know, receive or not receive the word of God. There's a different receptivity that we can have with God's word and God's truth. And Jesus' point was that many don't believe. Many don't receive, they don't believe, they don't live it out, they don't obey God's word, and we can testify to that. We can testify that much of the world does not. But for those of us that do, most likely you're coming to church today because you probably most likely know Jesus. For most of us, if not all of us in this room, we have received, we do believe God's word. Like when, when, God, when, when, the, when we open up the Bible and read it, like we take it as the authoritative word of God. Yeah, we may struggle here and there with obeying it, but we do receive, we do believe. And what the, what, what the first parable would say is there is the potential as we obey God's word to produce 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. Like there's, there's results, there's amazing, incredible things that will come from our lives for the glory of God when we obey God's word. And that's, that, was, that was that point. And last week kind of added to that, it piggybacked on that, and, and we saw that for those of us that receive God's word and believe in it, and we believe in Christ and his word, that, that, that there's a responsibility that we have now with it. Like, with God's word, we're, we're responsible, or, or we do have a choice once again, what we do with God's word. Not, not necessarily in a personal sense, but the challenge that we saw or, or the lesson that we learned last week was, are we sharing it? Like, are we 
living it out? Are, are, we, are we just keeping it for ourselves and it's like our own little thing and we have our faith? Or are we, are we letting our light shine, so to speak? Are we, or are we covering it? Right? There's, we're challenged to assess our own lives and our own witness, specifically in the area of what we're doing with his word once we have it for ourselves. And so today... It continues on, like these parables are connected, and we see the effects of the word in the world if we do share it. So that's why, so, so those of us that believe, and those of us that do share it, do communicate, do tell others, there is a powerful and potent effect that the word of God has in the world. And we'll see, you know, when we believe in God's word and we share it, the re results and effects are incredibly powerful. And this is why. We're going to look at that. But this is why. It's because scripture is God-breathed and God-inspired. The Bible actually talks about itself a lot. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, and he's reminding Timothy of the incredible power of the word of God. He says, all scripture is God-breathed, or some translations would say God-inspired, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The author of Hebrews would say something similar, Hebrews 4.12. He would say that the word of God is actually living. It's alive and it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Like, this is God's word and it's alive and it's active and it's powerful. Also, if we're reminded of just even Genesis chapter 1, it's that God's words are what breathe life into existence. Like the, word of, like the words of God breathe life into nothing. Like he made the world. He made us. He made all the animals and all the plants and all of creation was spoken into existence by God himself. Like there is power in God's words and God's words are alive, and they give life. It's not just it's not some ordinary words. It's the very word of God. And his word, right, scripture, all of it, every one of the 66 books that we've broken it into, points to himself and holds the truth of the gospel. And so when we speak it, like when we share it, when we preach it, when we communicate it, what the Bible also says is that it does not come back void. Like there's actually like work that's being done. There's, there's things that happen when the word of God goes forth. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. But look at verse 11. In the same way, with my word, I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. 
I mean, there is real tangible effects. There is real power. There is real life that comes from when the word of God is spread throughout the world. And even if we don't see that effect, even if, you know, we share the word and we tell people about it, we don't see it, we can be reassured that God is still at work. He tells us he is. His own word says what his word is intended to do, that it's powerful and alive and active and does work and produces fruit when it goes forth. The Bible, Scripture, God's words, they are no ordinary words. Like the word of God when spoken, it produces faith, Book of Romans would tell us. Like faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Like, it's this weird thing where you need to hear the word of God to even have faith. You think, like, well, I need to have faith in God before I hear it. That's, the book of Romans would say, you need, you need to hear the word of God, and that produces faith. Like, the very words that you hold in your hand are the keys to abundant and eternal life in Christ. They're not just... What we open on Sunday mornings, or they shouldn't be. They're not just the thing that collects dust on our bedside table. I mean, they're not just the, you know, a lot of us have many multiple Bibles. But these words are the very words of God that are powerful and active and alive and produce fruit wherever they, are, wherever they go. So, like when, 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 when we as God's people... When we live into like our calling and our commission as God's ambassadors, right, as, as his witnesses. And when we do like herald and proclaim the gospel, the effects literally and actually will change the world. I mean, it's, it's a real thing. And so when we like live into what we're called and commissioned to as believers, as sons and daughters of the king, when we're ambassadors and witnesses and we represent Christ by sharing his word, there is supernatural, powerful God work that is happening. We hold the keys to abundant and eternal life in these words. As Jesus would say, like, he who has an ear, let him hear. Like, are you guys getting this? Are you seeing this? It's, it, it, it's going to challenge us because it, uh, uh, it might shake up your lives right now. It's what the word of God does best. It shakes you up. But we should be gathering. We should be seeing that we hold and the words that we have, the very words of God that we have are powerful and potent when they are shared. To point out a few things in our parables to kind of bolster this and to communicate it a bit more. The first thing I want to bring up is that in this first parable, it speaks of the farmer that goes to, goes to sleep and his crop grows overnight and he doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand that, you know, I, 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 I might have like planted or watered, but and then, you know, the sun came, but... It just grew like this crop just happened and it produced and it, and it grew without even me. And this concept, when it concerning the kingdom of God, comes up in, in one of Paul's letters. See, Paul to the, the to church in Corinth in his first letter, 1 Corinthians, he says almost the very same thing. It's interesting. 
and it's it's important. But Paul is a bit he's debating a bit of um, you know the people in Corinth of how they believed and who they heard from and who taught them, and so there's this little debate going on, and he answers them this way because they're a little bit uh, divided on. <laughs> some non-important things, but he says this, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? He says, we're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Like, it's not about us. So stop quarreling is what he's saying. Each of us, Paul speaking of himself and of Apollos, he says, each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded with their own hard work. This is absolutely crucial that we understand this. There's a couple things that we can learn from literally what, what, what Jesus is speaking about in our parable this morning and what Paul is saying in this text in 1 Corinthians. Number one is that it's not our job to save people. It's not you and I's job to save people. And when we, and we share the word of God, it's not our job to even get results. It's not. It's God's job. He's the one that ultimately can change and save hearts and cause growth. But what we also see is that we actually are supposed to be faithful stewards of God's word. He does use us to plant in water, and he chooses to use us. Like, we see that throughout, throughout the, the, the story of God, like, the, of Scripture, that God mainly chooses people. Like, like he, he's a miraculous, awesome God, but he chooses to not work independently from us, but he chooses to use us for his glory. He involves us. He asks us. He, he, he thrusts us at sometimes into the building of his kingdom. We are the ones that God uses. And so we very much are to be faithful stewards of God's word, to be used to plant and water. But again, God is the only one that can cause the growth. And th this should empower and free us. It really should. It's not up to you if that person that you share with doesn't ever come to know him. Or, or you know, you may get so discouraged and so just like uh, down that you've been sharing the word of God over and over for years to a family member or someone really close to you. And they're just, you don't see them believing or trusting. That is not up to you. Like, be freed that your role is just to plant and water. Like, be faithful. Be faithful to share with them and tell them the good news and pray for them and communicate it. Like, don't give up. But trust God that he is the one ultimately that is going to save them. And Jesus would also add to this idea uh, speaking to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. So not only does he talk about it here, not only does Paul talk about it in Corinthians, but, but Jesus once again brings up this idea in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 39. I have it up here for you. Once again, it's communicating what Jesus is doing, very much like Mark has been, but it says, Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Like once again, Jesus uses this illustration of farming. Like over and over again, he's using this this illustration of farming. This time, it's about the harvest and its workers. See, the context is that Jesus and his disciples were confronting, like, firsthand the plight of humanity. I mean, they, they were seeing the desperation and the need and the spiritual bankruptcy that was happening. Right? It says that Jesus was feeling compassion on them, like sheep without a shepherd. Right? Him and his disciples were seeing firsthand that humanity was lost and blind and hurting and spiritually dead. And that they were in need of a savior that would forgive them, heal them, and make them whole again. That, that's the gospels. They were encountering like, like sin and brokenness and broken relationship between God and humanity. And the utter need for a savior. They were, they were seeing this. And what Jesus does with his disciples and those that were around him, he pleads with his followers to pray to God for more workers. Like he, he, he said, like, you guys need to pray that God sends more workers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Like we, Jesus' instruction to them was to pray that more men and women would go into the world to preach the gospel, to spread the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the need was overwhelming. People were lost and people were hurting and people were in need of a savior. And what Jesus alludes to is that because his word is so powerful and potent that all that they needed to do was just go out and plant and water and the harvest would be plentiful. Like, that's what he said. He didn't say, like, you know, I need you to be a good worker in the fields. I need to tell you how to work those fields, and there's certain ways to work those fields. Like, it's actually really tricky to have someone come to the knowledge of Christ. All he said is, there's a harvest, it's plentiful, it's ripe, and I just need people to go tell them about me. Like, that, that's it. We complicate it so much, but he says, if they just are willing to go and share the good news, a great harvest will come. Like, that's all it takes. All it takes is a willingness to serve in the building of God's kingdom, and it comes down to if we're willing to participate or not. Like it, come, it just comes down once again to the willingness of our own hearts to say, yes, God, I'm here. Send me, open up my lips, like make me bold and courageous, like is to die to ourself and to say, God, your ways are better than our ways. Send me, take me, share, like use me for your glory. And Jesus is pleading with his followers that many more would go. And our second parable, speaking of the mustard seed, it describes like the time, the times of seeds producing, the, the tiniest of seeds producing the largest of crops, right? There's this mustard seed that's the smallest of garden plants, and you plant it, and, and it grows to be the largest of garden plants, and that, that's his point here, um, or that's the illustration here. But he alludes to that the crop, 
So that once the word of God is planted and, and is watered and, and God causes the growth, that the results will grow so big that they'll have such long branches that all the, all the birds are able to build nests in the shade. That, that, that's his illustration here. This tiny mustard seed, the smallest of all garden seeds, will grow to be the largest of all garden plants, and it'll be so big that every bird will be able to build their nests under it. Or in other words, that the effects of God's word going forth in the world are far-reaching and all-encompassing. Many would believe that this would mean or attribute to the fact that God desires all of the world and all of its different people would know the truth of the word of God. And in many ways, it does say that, that every bird is able to build a nest in the shade because of the fruit of the gospel going forth. And many would see this illustration as the far-reaching and all-encompassing effects that the gospel has on the entirety of the world. Like primarily and specifically that the word of God is intended to go forth and save the entire world. Like this is, this is the, the point and in, in, in the reason why Jesus would explain these things it, 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 is that the word of God is powerful and potent to save the whole world. And that truth is very much in line with the core of God's heart. Like that is at the, the heartbeat of God's heart is that everyone would come to the knowledge of Christ, right? That's 1 Timothy 2.4. Paul would say this as he is instructing this young pastor, Timothy. He would say, God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of Christ or the knowledge of the truth. Philippians 2, 9 and 11, speaking of Jesus, say the same thing, that therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like, that is like by nature God's heart and God's denying is that every knee will bow and that every tongue will know, every tribe, every nation. We see that in a picture of what's to come in the book of Revelation. Like Revelation chapter 7, when, when John gets this revelation and he looks into heaven and he sees what's heaven's like. He doesn't just see a bunch of the same type of people from the same different countries doing the same things. It's literally every tongue, tribe, and nation standing before God worshiping him. Not a matter of economic status or who you are or what you didn't do in this life. It's, it's everyone that believes, everyone that puts their trust in Jesus. Every tongue, tribe, and nation is around the footstool of God worshiping for all of eternity. That is a picture of what it is to come, and that is God's heart for what it should be. But how do we get there? Right? That's, that is the very heartbeat of God, is that everyone would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. How do we get there, though? And the right and good and challenging question would be, is what is our role in seeing God's word go forth so that every nation can come to Christ? Like, what is our role? I'm going to burst your bubble let its bubble a bit. It's not just to come to church on Sunday. It's not just to gather. It's, that's part of it. That's a big part. It's a good part and it's a right part. But it's also 
our role to scatter. The church scatters and goes forth and communicates and shares the word of God to a broken world. Some would say that Jesus' parting words, right, after he died and rose again and he's ascended, right, and he's, he's before the disciples and over 500 witnesses see him and, and he's alive from the dead. And it's this incredible scene. He, he doesn't say much, but he says a few things. At the end of Matthew and at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see that. And you know how it is. If, if, if someone's about to leave you, well, Jesus, he, he died, rose again. He's ascending to the Father. But his final words should hold some weight, right? If it's Jesus, it's God. He know, it's not haphazardly what he says. His parting words we should probably listen to because they're probably of utmost importance. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you guys all know this. It's called the Great Commission. But this is right before he ascends to the Father. Jesus came to them, came to the disciples, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like Jesus says, okay, like, yes, I defeated sin, sin, death, and the devil. Yes, but now it's time to go and tell others about this. Right before he ascended to heaven in the book of Acts, he's in Jerusalem, He's speaking to his followers, and he's sharing with them the importance of waiting upon the Holy Spirit and then going. But he says this. He says, Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What that meant is that for them, they were in Jerusalem. So that meant, hey, you're to be my witnesses here first. Judea and Samaria was a, a bit farther. It encompassed a lot more of Israel. And then to the ends of the earth is exactly what it means. That the gospel was to start in Jerusalem and go forth and not stop till every tongue, tribe, and nation heard it. And this isn't called the great suggestion. It's not called like the great, like, if you want to. It's a commissioning. Like, you are commissioned to do that. Like, this is your orders. This is your task. Like, this is, this is, this is the purpose. This is the goal. This is the intention of my heart is that everyone would know about me. See, our calling and our task is clear. And I want to give you an update on, on how it's going. Because it's actually pretty incredible what has happened, but also the task is not done. So you, you have to understand, like, so it started in Israel, and it started with like a rough and tumble 12 guys. Actually, 11 at this time, because Judas, we know what happened to Judas. Judas. But these 11 guys in Jerusalem, by the power of the Holy Spirit, went. And so they did. They, they obeyed. They went. They weren't perfect by any means, but they went. And God used them as well as others to take the gospel to the rest of the world in order 
so that everyone would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so today, right, there's roughly 7 point, well, current estimate, 1.4 billion people. 7.14 billion people on the earth. And what happens is, is a lot of people break down that amount of people into different people groups. And so some would say that out of the entirety of humanity, that there's 16,900 different people groups. Not, not nations, but, but broken up into whether it's ethnicity or language, but people smarter than me, you can ask Brad, he's smarter than me, he knows this, um, is that there's 16,900 different people groups that make up that 7.14 billion people. So 7,000 of them, which makes up 3 billion people, do not know the gospel. They're what they call unreached. The gospel has gone forth in 2,000 years. It's incredible that from 11 people, 11 guys, uneducated and untrained, the gospel has spread that 59% of the earth I mean, that the, the gospel is known. This is incredible. But 41%, I'm going to go with the, the negative side right now. 41% or 3.1 billion people are what they would call unreached. And unreached, by definition, is being that the gospel may be there, but it's only sustained by outside support. There's no natives or locals able to, like, you know, like to carry it on. There's only outside resources that are, that are carrying it, and those people groups on, them own, on their own do not know the gospel, can't, can't perpetuate it, can't start churches, can't make disciples. So 3.1 billion or 42% of the earth is unreached. I mean, this is, this, the task is not done. To break that down a little bit, current estimates would say even like Japan, 63% of Japan is unreached to the gospel. I mean, it's Japan, it's right there. We, friends and family members, we ourselves are Japanese, right? I'm not, but I'm just saying that. A lot of you in here are. Try to relate for a second. I'm a Howley, I know. But Japan is 63% unreached. China is 82% unreached to the gospel. I mean, I mean that, that breaks it down a little bit. That, that hits home a little bit more. But going back, out of, out of the 3.1 billion, I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers, sorry. I'm making, there's a lot of people that need to know Jesus, if that's what you want to know. Out of the 3.1 billion or 42% of the world that, do, that are unreached, 30% of that, so about 1 billion people are what they call unengaged. Unengaged is different from unreached. Unengaged is that there's no one even trying to go reach them. They don't know the gospel, they've never heard it, and no one's even trying. So one out of seven people on the earth, no one is even thinking about trying or going to tell them about Jesus. What I want this to do is I want us to be stirred up to participate in taking the word to the world. Like, I, I want us to, like, think outside of our lives for a second, to look at God's heart for all of humanity and to be moved by it. It should stir us. It should move us. It should cause us to participate when we hear something because all, what all that means is that the, almost half of the population of the world 
has no access to the gospel, and there's no one even trying to reach a third of those. I mean, this, this is staggering. But I want us to hold something like the power of God through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit using normal people. The gospel has gone forth, and like almost 60% of the world knows or has heard the gospel. But I also want to see is that like there's more. The task is at hand. And I know some of you may be think, seeing here like, well, that's not for me. Well, who else would it be for? <laughs> We're the Christians. We're the disciples. Yes, I know some of us are not all called to go or some are called to stay. And I know this might be really uncomfortable because you're like, wait a second, this is my Sunday morning. What are you trying to say to me? What I want us to see is that the word of God is powerful and potent and the harvest is ripe and ready and all that is required are those to plant and to water. Like it's there, God has moved, he's on the move and people just need to hear it and God will do the rest. But the problem that we have is that no one's going. Like no one's going, no one's even thinking on their radar. And again, we'll develop, pray, participate in this, and this will be like a, a, a huge core to the life of this church. You'll hear about it more next week in our vision casting. But in the meantime, I just want this to like sit with you and stir you. And for now, start with those that you'll see between now and next Sunday. Like start with those. Like what is your Jerusalem, right? They, Jesus used that analogy, like, for us, it's where we live. It's Honolulu, or it's the town you live in, or it's where you, where you, where you work and where you do life. Like, that is your mission field. That is your Jerusalem. Like, those people matter just as much to God as people that haven't heard it. Everyone needs to know. Everyone needs to be saved. And so start now. Start where you are. Our church is so unique. You know, we're a small church, a new church. But God has placed you guys in some pretty incredible, like, influential jobs. And that's not, like, at all coincidence. That's not random. I mean, doctors, nurses, architects, teachers, military, you know, music industry. Like, I mean, it's crazy. Graphic, I mean, teachers, professors. I mean, I I have a list, actually. I'm going to pull it out because I... Botch that a little bit. <laughs> no, honestly, I'm tripping out on the, the amount of influence and, and potential, like, incredible areas you guys have for work. hope it's not too creepy for you. but Dude, in our church, small church, doctors, nurses, electricians, you're in construction, mechanics, teachers, graphic design, business owners, architects, counselors, air traffic controllers, restaurant managers, baristas, many baristas in this church, Uh, work at a gym, own a gym, engineers, hairstylists, graphic designers. I mean, it's insane in a really neat strategic way that God has placed you in that for his glory. Like he wants to use you there, whether you like your job or not. God has placed you there in this season for his glory. And so start there, but don't forget that he also wants us to go. And so in light of that, as we worship, let's just stand before God and ask God that we would be a people that say, here I am, Lord. Like I'm available, I'm willing to participate. And for those of you that that's really hard for, which is all of us, 
that would be the time to do it during the second time of worship is just to come before God and be like, that is really hard. I do not like what he's saying, but I know that it's right. I know that your word says it, so help my heart to get to the place where I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. So let me pray, and then we'll do that. God, thank you that you came and you died for the entire world. That while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. That it's not like we somehow attained some sort of righteousness. No, we were sinners, but you gave us your righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would make us a people that are willing to follow you. You are so worth following, God. I pray that you'd give us a greater view of your heart for the world, for our coworkers, for our family, for those that we don't know but we know need them, uh, th those that, don't, that need you, God. Give us a heart, God. Give us your heart for the word of God going forth. Would you give us incredible boldness and courage to do so, wisdom and discernment. For so many of us, that is a, that's a really hard thing to do. And so, Lord, I pray for real heart work to be done in our hearts. But thank you, Lord, that it's not up to us. Like, we just need to be willing, but you're the one that saves. You're the, you're the one that does the work. So, God, we trust you. We love you. And we worship you now for this wonderful, amazing truth that we all have. That we've been saved by your grace. That we've become new creations. And there's, there's much to be thankful for today. So we want to dwell upon who you are and what you've done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.